Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If somebody said it was a happy little tale, somebody lied. I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Welcome to Now Playing's Amazing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. Can Spider-Man come out to play? Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. The real crime would be not to finish what we started. Hosted by Jacob. Are you going to behave yourself? No, I'm going to do my job. That's what I'm going to do. Stuart. Cooperate and you might just survive. And Arnie. Guys, you do not want to do this, trust me. Ooh, my spider sense is tingling. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but if your spider sense is tingling, it's because this podcast will have detailed plot spoilers and mild language. So listener discretion is advised. We're gonna have a hell of a time. We are discussing Venom, starring Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed, directed by Ruben Fleischer. We are Arnie, and we are co-hosts of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who likes to chase himself around the room and play hard to get, Jacob. But you always do get yourself in the end, don't you? I mean, it's a game. It's always consensual, yes. <laughs> it happened. We got a Venom movie. Are you saying Spider-Man 3 in a Venom movie? I'm saying that Spider-Man 3 was supposed to launch a Venom series. After Spider-Man 3, the Via Rod was looking at doing the Venom spin-off film. And then based upon the feedback, they're like, okay, we're gonna do a Venom spin-off film, but it won't be with Topher Grace. And then they were looking at doing a Venom spin-off film in the Amazing Spider-Man universe. <laughs> and it was actually, you could see the symbiote in with the vulture wings and everything else in that big cave of unrealized plot ideas in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And now they were like, screw it. We gave Spider-Man back to Marvel. We still want to do this Venom film. Avia Rod is still here making it and producing it. And they somehow got this thing launched, got Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams to star in it, and the director of Zombieland. I mean, it's not that incredible. I mean, anti-hero movies are in. Next October, we're getting a Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. And I think people are always fascinated with the bad guy. This is Spider-Man's bad guy. Yeah, it is a little weird that Spider-Man isn't in this. I don't know if they'll ever tie it around to those Spider-Man films that Sony, I guess, half owns or something. But yeah, I felt like we maybe someday get a Venom film. But it seems like outside of Marvel Studios, Fox and Sony, they're just a cluster F. When it comes to these films, like, let's try to reboot Fantastic Four. Oh, that went horribly wrong. And you hear all these stories. Like, how many Spider-Verse films do they have supposedly coming out? We're going to get a Black Cat one, maybe, or Silver Sable. I don't believe it. 
There's a number of them in production. They were talking about Silver Sable and Black Cat teaming up in Silver and Black. And then they were perhaps not going to do the team-ups, but do them individually. But according to Sony, that is still being worked on. Gina Prince Blythewood is working on the script. They said they're not going to rush it, but when they get the script right, they're doing it. Next up, you mentioned the Joker being played by Joaquin Phoenix. I guess that leaves Jared Leto available to go play Morbius the Living Vampire. (laughs) Now, I know who all these characters are because when I was buying comics in high school, Amazing Spider-Man was really the core of my collecting and my reading. And so I know about all these side characters. But in my mind, they are all basically symbiotes or parasites. They cannot live without the main host body that is Spider-Man. Well, for me, when I'm reading comic books in the 90s, I didn't like Spider-Man. I know you were a huge Spider-Man fan. I wasn't. But you know what? If Venom was showing up in that comic, I was buying it because it was the 90s and uh, Black Evil Spider-Man, that seemed like really cool because I was also really into the Punisher, like just the bad guys, the anti-heroes. So I would pick up Spider-Man, which I didn't like just because Venom was in it or Carnage. And I had forgotten it was a Todd McFarlane creation, but it's obvious once you look at that tongue, once you see the design of the thing, that was his decade. The 90s, that was also when Spawn became a thing. Yeah, he launched Spider-Man number one, which was huge in the 90s. And then he got mad at Marvel's contracts, left and started his own thing, and that's where Spawn came from. Yeah, so he can be credited with giving us a darker vision of superheroes, and that's what I'm expecting as I come to this spinoff. I don't have a lot of expectations. I have two points of reference for Venom, Spider-Man 3, and Turn Off the Dark. (laughs) Both are awful reference points. Yeah. When I think of Venom, I mean, my introduction came from Stuart. He was telling me how there was a black Spider-Man outfit and things where Spider-Man was trying to keep up with the dark times. And I didn't believe it because I'm like, I read Spider-Man every day written by Stan Lee in the newspaper and had no idea this was going on. When I heard about Venom, it was probably just his second or third comic appearance. But I was like you, Jacob, completely hooked on him. And I remember when he got his own spinoff series, as happens with every villain that becomes too popular. (laughs) They're like, well, we need to sell a comic just about the villain, but we can't have them doing bad things. So we're going to, to use this movie's term, pussify them and turn them into anti-heroes. And so, yes, we ended up with Venom Lethal Protector, where he decided, all right, Spider-Man's not such a bad dude, but I'm still not going to stay in New York where that guy is. So I'm going to go back home to San Francisco and protect the people there by eating the bad guys. Okay, so there is a tie to San Francisco in the comics, because I always figured Venom stayed in New York, even when he went kind of good, anti-hero, but... Yeah, I thought, oh, they're going to throw this movie in San Francisco just so we're really far away from New York so we don't have any of those questions about where Tom Holland is. It's funny how much this movie ties into some of those 90s comic books. Now, this was after McFarlane had left. I think Venom Lethal Defender and Spawn Number 1 were hitting shelves within a few months of each other. I actually remember I was in college freshman year when both of those issues hit, and yeah, Venom went to San Francisco and had a girlfriend named Anne and fought off a symbiote invasion. I mean, just about everything from this movie 
is taken from the comics. I'm surprised, actually, at how faithful to the comics it is, given that you lose Venom's entire motivation for being evil and why he can climb walls and all of that, and they had to remove the spider from his chest because that wouldn't make any sense. I will say, though, I took my wife to this with me. She is not a comic book person. I always have to do a lot of explaining before and after the movie, like filling in. I got to put on my geek glasses and explain stuff. But yeah, for her... She was glad she didn't like those Spider-Man movies, and she was able to buy this as not being one. But for comic book people, yeah, there was a lot of grumbling. Why isn't Spider-Man? It's not going to make any sense without Spider-Man in it, and he doesn't have the spider, and... We got to open our minds. We got to expand. We got to know that movies recontextualize things. And to be clear, the reason why Spider-Man of any variety, Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, or Tom Holland is here is because Sony struck a deal in which they promised not to include the character, but could use peripheral. The Spider-Verse, this is the first entry in that. It's almost like they have to create a new comic book universe. They're able to piggyback on a character that's popular and already been in the movies for decades but they have to start from ground zero and venom i guess is a smart enough place to begin as any anything can be infected with a symbiote and there was even a venomized tyrannosaurus rex in a comic book yes old man logan yeah it was just completely awesome and yeah i think symbiotes are a good area to go to and have mass appeal as far as Spider-Man villains and peripheral characters go, Venom has a hell of a lot more name recognition than Silver Sable, Morbius the Living Vampire, or even Black Cat. And it's weird to me coming in and thinking about a Venom movie without Spider-Man in it. There was a lot of murmurs, like, would Tom Holland show up? Would Tom Holland have a cameo? Would they somehow reference the Marvel Universe? The reason that this movie ended up being PG-13, they say, is so that later on, Venom can interact with Spider-Man. If this were rated R, there's no way they would let him near the MCU. But I guess conversations continue to be ongoing. And also, there's contract negotiations. Remember Amy Pascal, who kind of lost her job thanks to the big Sony hack? Yep. She's the one who negotiated with Marvel, and they agreed that Spider-Man would be in three Marvel movies and then three solo Spider-Man movies in the MCU. And now that Pascal is no longer in that position, it's understood that some of the Sony execs think that was a bad choice and they should have kept Spider-Man to themselves and they may take it back again after that six-movie deal is done. If they have a successful Spider-Verse, they could pop him right in the middle. Right. I was wondering why this was PG-13, because I did hear rumblings that, was there an R-rated version of it? Tom Hardy, I think, said like 40 minutes were cut from this. I've got to say, coming in with no expectations, you think you're going to get something obvious. It's Halloween time. This is a scary character. Yeah, it looks intense. I thought it was R, so I just assumed that it was going to follow the trend that we've had lately. It was either going to be intense like Logan or wisecracking like Deadpool, but that it would be a movie made for adults, kind of like what they're teasing with this new Mutants movie that got pushed, but is going to be more horrific. Or Spawn. I think that was R or flirted with it at any rate. The next Spawn's going to be R, that's for sure. Right. But that isn't what we got here. It seems like somebody blinked. And maybe they even filmed a movie that was that. And then somewhere in the post-production process, they said, but you know, the kids. I 
went into this movie with the lowest of expectations. In fact, I was texting you, Stuart, Thursday night that this opened. I was at New York Comic Con, so I didn't get a chance to see this until Friday. And you told me you were at the opening of Venom, and I'm like, I pity you. I'm just thinking that this movie is going to make us wish Topher Grace was back. I didn't expect it to be that bad. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I had low expectations, but not Topher Grace bad. I did. It was that last trailer when he's like, you'll be this armless, legless, faceless thing like a turd in the wind. I'm like, if that's the tone of this movie, it will be a turd in the wind. Again, I look at my wife who has no horse in this race and isn't a fan of the comics. She loved that trailer. She's like, oh, I want to see this. She liked that humor. And I think that's because Deadpool is her favorite. So I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, they were trying to skirt that line, like that Deadpool humor. But yeah, then they got to make it PG-13, I guess, for whatever reason. I look around to see, is it, does it have a fast food tie-in? Are they putting out toys? <laughs> the only thing that I found was Brisk. Brisk? Iced tea? <laughs> Brisk tea has a symbiotic dark cherry limeade for you tea-swilling radical gamer types. I guess it's for the tea-drinking audience that just wants a little bit more. But can't hang with, like, Mountain Dew Extreme. <laughs> I saw some billboards for that at Comic-Con, but yes, I thought for sure this movie was going to be crap. And yeah, I thought Topher Grace was going to end up looking better. I was really dreading seeing this, but I did get tickets in New York. The only true IMAX, like really big old school IMAX in all of Manhattan is a Lowe's up on the Upper West Side. But I put out a call on Facebook. Marjorie was the exact opposite of your wife, Jacob. I couldn't drag Marjorie to this Venom movie. She likes Venom in the comics, but she's like, that movie just looks atrocious. The reviews were bad. Is she a Tom Hardy fan? Because my wife loves Tom Hardy too. That was a big part of it. My wife doesn't understand why anyone would like Tom Hardy. He's amazing. I love all his voices. <laughs> so I put out a call on Facebook and I was just like on my private page. Does anyone want to go see Venom? I know I had a lot of friends going to the con. Unexpectedly, a whole bunch of now playing listeners were like, yeah, we'll go see Venom. So there was a now playing listener meetup where Daryl, who works on the show, along with listeners Robert, his wife Angela, Mike, Mark, and John all showed up and we just went out, grabbed some drinks, a couple alcoholic beverages to try to make Venom go down a little easier, then went across the street and saw the movie as a group. And it was crowded because this thing is doing very, very well. You may have been dreading it, but there are several people that are very excited. It's breaking October box office records, and my theater was full, and it was full of young families. It was 20, 30-somethings bringing their small tykes to the theater. I saw it in real D, so I got the 3D experience. Yeah, I saw this in regular 2D, but like you guys, packed theater. I was surprised when a Saturday afternoon showed up 20 minutes before thinking I was going to be able to walk right in because the buzz was not great the critical reception was not great but almost a sold out theater yeah when we were buying tickets to go as a group there were plenty of seats left but one of my friends kind of dilly dallied and i went a couple days beforehand to see could i still get him seats somewhere near us could i move our group to a different area sold out theater except for the very front row every single seat was gone now i did go back and see this again I felt like I should and... Without the alcohol. <laughs> yes, without the alcohol. So I go from New York Comic Con to LaGuardia Airport to Springfield, Illinois to the movie theater. I forgot I'm still wearing my Spider-Man PS4 video game shirt. I walk into the movie theater. They're like, let me guess. 
Venom. Oh, shit. Yes, I would like to go you see You wore the band t-shirt to the band you're going to see live, didn't you? I don't know that you'd ever look like you were there for A Star is Born, Arnie. I just, I don't know. Actually, I expected to start this podcast by saying how much I wish we were discussing A Star is Born instead of Venom. I mean, I just low, low expectations. But hey, free comic. So, saw it twice. Both 3D. I could not escape the 3D on this one. The IMAX I went to was IMAX 3D. And then I'm like, I'd really like to see it 2D because the 3D did not impress me at all. And I couldn't get a 2D showing before we were recording. So I've seen an IMAX 3D and then non-IMAX 3D. I'm going to chime in with that too. That, yeah, don't bother. See it in 2D if you see it at all. I thought with all the CGI tentacles, that would at least pop. The only time I noticed it was when people like walked in front of bushes. Like there is very, very little depth in the film. Yeah, there were bushes. I was surprised at no point did we get a cool like tongue coming out of the screen or anything i mean during all the slow-mo fights at the end where the frame would almost literally freeze so you could actually figure out what was going on that didn't like pop out in 3d not at all no wow i thought that's what the 3d stuff was even the drone chase i thought would have looked good in 3d slightly but really no they do say that when a movie is darker, it's harder for it to register in 3D. And so maybe that's it. This is a very low-lit, high-key film. So maybe that had something to do with it. Or maybe it was a rush job conversion and they just didn't do it right. But yes, definitely don't bother in 3D at all. You mentioned rush job. The other thing that surprised me about this film... I just assume if you're doing a major superhero film with a lot of effects, you're spending 200 million minimum. But they got this thing in at around 100 million. That's all it costs to make. Honestly, and while that's a lot of money to me personally, as far as the studio goes, this is a low risk investment. If Venom just goes splat, eh, just 100 million. Yeah. Keep in mind, Deadpool had a similar strategy. When you're playing with something and you don't have a whole lot of confidence in it, then you want to keep that production budget as low as possible. Well, Arnie, you saw it twice. Give him the plot. We'll figure out what's in Venom. Tom Hardy is Eddie Brock, investigative TV reporter covering the hard-hitting news. Like, why doesn't the San Francisco city government care about all the homeless people found in a landfill? He's engaged to lawyer Anne Weying, played by Michelle Williams. Anne's firm is representing Elon Musk-esque entrepreneur, big pharma tycoon, and space explorer Carlton Drake, head of the Life Foundation, played by Riz Ahmed. But Eddie knows Drake is into illegal stuff. And Eddie knows this because he snuck into Anne's email and read confidential memos. His ambush journalism on Drake ends up getting both Brock and Anne fired from their respective jobs, and Anne dumps Brock. Meanwhile, over in Malaysia, one of Drake's spaceships crashed down. Most of the crew is dead, but what Drake really cares about are the four symbiote aliens that the ship collected off of a comet. One of the symbiotes is missing, but the other three are recovered, still in containment. Jump to six months later, Brock is still unemployed and barely making his rent in his shithole apartment. But at the Life Foundation, Drake has started throwing homeless people into a room with a symbiote, watching the symbiote kill the human, and then deciding to try again. His goal is to find a way to merge human and symbiote because Earth is dying and Drake thinks the only way for humans to survive is to merge with these aliens. But scientist Dr. Skirth, and I thought it was Dr. Skirt the whole movie. Yeah. So did I. It was like in the era of Me Too, yeah, let's call our Dr. Skirt. <laughs> our female doctor, yeah, it's a little too on the nose. I have never met anyone named Skirt ever. I think they totally made that up. <laughs> 
Well, Dr. Skirth, played by Jenny Slate, thinks all the dead people are maybe bad science. So she approaches Brock, hoping the former reporter can do something. She sneaks him into the Life Foundation, where Brock is attacked and merged with a symbiote named Venom. This alien is a perfect match for Brock's physiology. When Drake discovers Brock has infiltrated his lab, he sends the Life Foundation militia after Brock to capture him and Venom. But Venom takes over Brock's body and helps the reporter escape. With the help of Anne and Anne's new boyfriend, surgeon Dr. Dan Lewis, played by Reed Scott, Brock comes to terms with what Venom is. An alien with only two weaknesses, piercing sounds and fire. Additionally, Venom needs to eat brains to survive. If not fed enough organs from victims, he starts to eat Brock alive from the inside. Meanwhile, Drake merges with the only other surviving symbiote, Riot, the one who disappeared from the crash. Riot had body hopped his way from Malaysia to San Francisco and takes over Drake. Together, Drake and Riot plan to bring millions of symbiotes down to Earth and take over everyone. But Venom has decided he likes Eddie, so he'll help Eddie save the planet. As Riot prepares to ride one of Drake's ships into space to get his buds, Venom attacks. A big fight occurs, and it looks like Riot won, with the Venom symbiote ripped from Brock's body and then Brock impaled on a spear. But Venom merges again with Brock, saving the man's life, and then uses Riot's spear to tear apart the ship, killing Riot in the fiery explosion. And Venom is presumed dead in the fire as well, but he lives on in Eddie and plans to help Brock get back together with Anne. And Brock gets another job as a reporter and gets the interview of a lifetime, getting the scoop on serial killer psychopath Cletus Cassidy, played by Woody Harrelson, in the worst Ronald McDonald wig I have seen. I thought he was going to sing tomorrow. <laughs> but instead of singing, he says Carnage is coming as credits roll. So we start where I did not expect to start. Space. The final frontier. Yeah, the very end of the movie Life that people thought was a Venom prequel. And you open up with a spaceship from the Life Foundation. I'm like, oh man, maybe we do have to go back and review that film. It seems that way. The Life Foundation and Drake are actually from the comics, though. I really thought, though, we've talked about Venom, how he exists in the Marvel Universe known as the 616 Universe. I thought for sure this would go more the way of the ultimate Spider-Man comic book where the Venom symbiote was not an alien, but in fact, a artificially intelligent bioorganic suit used to cure cancer that ended up taking over people. But no, they're going straight on alien. Yeah, this is what I understood. He came from space. That was the only thing I could remember. I haven't gone back to watch Spider-Man 3. I remember almost nothing about it, but he did. Yeah, he came in like a meteor or something in that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that was, as long as it comes from the cosmos, they seem to be doing it right as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's just weird to me that Bendis in the Ultimate Universe made it a man-made creation instead. But we do get a tie to the Spider-Verse. You know, the ship crashes in Malaysia and one of the astronauts is a Jameson. And if you're familiar with the comics, you know, J. Jonah Jameson, his son was an astronaut. Oh, yes. We, first of all, we talked about him in our Spider-Man 2 review because he became engaged to Mary Jane Watson. And I think at that time we discussed how he became the man wolf in a couple of really hysterical issues of the Spider-Man comic. But I was really impressed that when Jameson's ship crashes, they go through the trouble of having it crash in Malaysia. I'm just 
so used to movies being American-centric that it had crashed somewhere in North America. Sometimes they'll crash in China so we could get the Chinese market. No, that's true also. But I usually think if they want to be exotic, it crashes in Vancouver or something. <laughs> but here they're in Malaysia. But I'm like, they say Malaysia, but it looks a lot like Georgia. And I sat through some very long end credits. And yes, it was filmed in Georgia. Yeah, well, it's because it's going to take six months for these symbiotes to get back to San Francisco. So they need to put them far enough away that you can believe that it takes so long for someone to infected walk to an airport <laughs> yeah they retrieve three of them they say one is missing and that's when we see what a dead astronaut come out and then shift over to one of the paramedics and take her body over yeah that's jj jameson that was infected i assume he was the one that crashed the ship to begin with that this was all part of the symbiote plan i don't quite get but they wanted it to go down yeah you think they would just landed it nicely and then they could have peacefully just took over the world but maybe he went crazy in the spaceship and it just crashed because he was attacking everyone here's what i saw is when the ship was coming into land i noticed it was covered in ice and then they say that something on the outside tore, like it lost a cooling panel, you know, kind of making me think of the discovery disaster that occurred. I think they say it was a mechanical failure on the outside of the ship, and that's why Jameson is yelling Mayday. They had four symbiotes in canisters, and one of the canisters broke on crash, is what we're told. Yeah, but Jameson lives, and my presumption is the only reason why he would was because he was infected already. I thought he got infected after after the crash. But yeah, either way, the symbiote is somehow in Jameson and Jameson is still alive. And we get an opening scene that immediately raises my expectations, but yet I know it's a tease. It's just like a burlesque show that I know is not going to go much <laughs> further because when Jameson is taken in an ambulance and they're rushing him off, he then sits up like a zombie and shoots these tentacles out and starts killing people. And I'm like, well, this is really looking like an updated version of Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, I was thinking The Thing as well. And my wife turned to me. She's like, what is this movie rated? Because it felt like, oh, just for a glorious moment that this was going to be like a pretty decent comic book horror movie that they were really going to go after that angle. I'm not sure that they didn't and then changed their mind into the editing room. I suspect, again, this Halloween proximity date of release, they had to be thinking that this was scarier than your usual Marvel effort. You lean into that. If you are trying to compete, you try to do something that Marvel would never dare to do. Yeah, it just surprised me because it was truly effective horror. And then I realized this is from the director of Zombieland. I don't think this movie was ever complete horror, but I look at who the director is, and in Zombieland, he did effective zombie horror, but he also did wry humor, and that's kind of what we've got a combination of here. I don't feel Venom pulls that off as well as Zombieland did, but this horror is just surprisingly scary stuff and violent stuff. And when Jameson attacks, the ambulance flips over a few times, and then an EMT walks out with this compound fracture, the bone sticking out of her shin. But this symbiote that we're going to come to know as Riot had jumped into her, and as she walks, it heals the bone, and she just shambles off into the night like a zombie. Right. And the other three are going to be packed up and sent back to San Francisco, which is where the Life Foundation has its headquarters, and they're being investigated by our main character, Eddie Brock. Now, 
Is this true to the comic? I remember you guys describing Eddie Brock as a tough guy muscle man that was mean. Like, he was mean before he was infected. It wasn't Venom that turned him mean. Yeah, even Topher Grace wasn't a tough guy, but he was a jerk in that film. And yeah, that was always Eddie's temperament. It was a surprise to me to see that this is kind of a sweet guy who is a social justice warrior who is a do-gooder who has a news program that I think is viral. It might be on a TV station. I think it's on a TV station or maybe their website. It's not very clear. He runs like an Infowars, I guess. <laughs> but at any rate, this Eddie to me is kinder and more gentle than I would have suspected Tom Hardy to play him or the comic book character to be. Well, yes, Eddie was hot tempered. But the thing about him was he was a reporter for the Daily Globe in New York. And then he faked a story. And Peter Parker got the real story, and so Brock lost his job. To work out his anger, he then started lifting weights and became, like, Arnold-level big. Okay. And he had it out for Peter Parker, whereas the Venom symbiote had fallen in love with Spider-Man because Spider-Man was its first host. And so the symbiote had it out for Spider-Man. Brock had it out for Peter Parker, making them a very deadly combination together who also knew his secret identity. But if you're turning Venom, though, into a good guy, anti-hero, you got to have a sympathetic human host. You can't have this bulking, hot-headed guy that's going to be harder to sell as a protagonist you're going to want to follow along in the film. Well, it gives him something to go along with. And it's also said later that they chose him, that they maybe even out in space saw some of these Eddie Brock report specials and said, hey, when we get to Earth, make sure to jump into that guy. Everything that we see <laughs> is some kind of twisted plan to get Eddie Brock into the lab so he can eat black oot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't read it that way, but it does seem like these hosts, they want to find the best, most compatible body. We'll see that one in Malaysia. It's going to hop through a bunch of different bodies before it ends up in San Francisco. With Eddie, I think Venom says something like he's come to like him, and so he wants to stick around inside of him. Yeah, and that's a really interesting way to go with that story, but we'll kind of get there. But yeah, what we have here, they're making him more hero and less anti-hero, which really makes the tagline of the world has enough superheroes completely implausible. First of all, this appears to be taking place in a universe where superheroes heroes don't exist. I mean, there's never a reference to Spider-Man or anybody else. Second, Brock is a good guy. He cares about the homeless. His investigative reports, he is at a four-letter news station, but the first letter is M, which... I'm used to K if you're west of the Mississippi and W if you're east of the Mississippi. I don't know where M comes from. But yeah, he's this hard-hitting investigative reporter, which makes it really odd that his editor or producer, I guess, would give him a job doing a fluff piece on this Drake. Why would you choose him for that assignment? Well, you'd want him to investigate this guy because it sounds like Carlton Drake has a lot of things going on. And I don't know enough about Elon Musk to know if Rez Ahmed is doing a good job parroting him or not. I know that Elon has started out with the Tesla, the electric car, and then he's moved into SpaceX, this commercial space program that he's now pimping and soon going to send some rich 
Japanese person. Japanese billionaire, yeah. Yeah. And he dates Hollywood starlets. I know Scarlett had a date with him. But beyond <laughs> that, I feel like he's maybe not quite as famous as some of the gurus, Bill Gates or Zuckerbergs that are more go-to. They're easier to parody, those guys. Elon, I don't know. And I'm not sure why we're supposed to hate him. What they say here is because he cured cancer at an early age, we'll find out he did it somewhat unethically, that he's willing to put human trials before they're ready. And we'll certainly see that here with the symbiotes. And that Eddie's fiance just so happens to be a lawyer that is working on a case of wrongful death. Three people are suing Carlton Drake, something he did with pharmaceuticals. It's kind of muddy. It would be cleaner if it had something to do with the space program, and they just focused on that. Yeah, the problem is they got to tie in, yeah, the clinical test, because we're going to see him do unethical stuff with that, to the space stuff, which we needed to get these symbiotes here. To me, this is all just boilerplate villain, evil scientist. Like, this is pretty rote and by the book. Like, someone with a lot of money, and they're going to do experiments for reasons, because that makes them evil. Having just watched the Marvel movie marathon, what I kept going back to was the first Ant-Man. And remember how we had the villain in there who was trying to perfect the shrink technology and he had the goats and the rabbits and things and he kept trying to shrink them and they turned into a puddle of goo and he's like, all right, bring in the next rabbit. It was similar to that, only here, this guy just keeps immediately experimenting on humans and he's rich enough to do it and he does test on a rabbit he's working on <laughs> rabbits for the first six months that's with symbiotes but the lawsuit that's six months earlier is because he's already done human trials in other regards that have been too soon i guess all i'm willing to say is if you cure pancreatic cancer and three people died you're actually doing pretty good ratio wise i would say and i'm just not inclined to hate a big tycoon CEO just because they're big and rich. And I think this movie is lazy and just saying, well, you know, he's successful. So that must mean he's evil. He's also Trumpian. He uses the term fake news and all of that. I felt like they were trying to draw some kind of parallels here. Like I thought they did pretty good with like San Francisco. I don't know how much you guys know about the politics of San Francisco, but they hate the tech communities there. They feel like it's ruined. It's driven rent up and homelessness up. So I thought they were trying to tap into what's going on in the country and I think in that city as well. Yeah, I was surprised to see that his headquarters is built right there at the end of the Golden Gate Bridge. You, you just wouldn't expect San Francisco. There's not a lot of room over there. You know, they every, no. <laughs> every inch is maximized. So the fact that he's kicking up so much crime real estate, there's reasons to be suspicious of the guy. I would have preferred if they did a lot more here to set up why he becomes a villain. Instead, it's really kind of late and unearned saying fake news and being shut down because Eddie Brock basically looked at his girlfriend's top secret case file and tried to bring classified information into the public realm. I mean, he is the one that did the wrong. Here's my point of view, because I'm like, okay, what is Eddie Brock's character arc going to be? Because he's got to have some flaw and combining with Venom, he's going to be able to overcome that. He might still use extreme methods biting off heads, but that's going to be his character arc. And here it's yeah, he looked at his girlfriend's legal documents to get some information on this Drake guy. I'm like, it's investigative journalism. If this guy's doing illegal trials on human bodies, yeah, let's find that out and expose it. I thought that was a weird flaw to have to overcome that he was trying to expose someone doing evil. It is kind of odd there. And as we see Brock here, Tom Hardy, I'm going to ask you guys what my wife asked me and I didn't really have an answer for. 
Why do people like Tom Hardy? Oh, I got an answer because, yeah, Tom Hardy shows up in something. It makes me probably want to go see that. And here's why. Like, I realized it was watching this film because every performance he does just feels different. I always talk about all his weird voices he does. Bane, if you've seen The Revenant, I don't know what kind of accent he's doing, but it's amazing. He's like the British Nicolas Cage to me. That sounds like an insult. But see, <laughs> Nick Cage shows up in something. I want to see it because he's going to do something crazy. And I feel like Tom Hardy. Yeah, he's going to just bring something weird to the role. And I was reading with this one. He's like, yeah, I wanted to play it like Ren and Stimpy. Not Jekyll and Hyde, but Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, I think that Tom Hardy is the type of actor that doesn't normally play a superhero and since this is an unusual kind of superhero it feels like a good match this is somebody who has counterintuitive instincts he's going to do something weird kind of like johnny depp or nicholas cage they're just not leading man material in the most obvious of ways you never know what you're going to get i thought bane was a failure but it was his own he went out on a limb and took it in a place no one would have expected. He didn't play it to cliche. And so that's what you want from Tom Hardy. Sometimes they work. Sometimes he gets left in the dust. I mean, Mad Max, great film, but you forget he's in it, honestly. So I don't feel like he has a 100% success rate, but I do think that he is an actor you get when you want to do something off the beaten path, which presumably Venom does. I will agree with what Jacob said. If Tom Hardy picks something, I'll look at what he's doing because he's not an actor who usually picks shit for a paycheck. And he's turned down a number of superhero movies, as you might expect. He did Bane, but has turned down a number of others. He did this one because his son really likes Venom and he wanted to do a movie that would connect for his son. And so I can kind of agree with that. But I'm going to say I like his performance here. I actually think he does a pretty good version of Eddie Brock even before Venom. His voice is kind of all over the map and he has all these aches and pains like a former boxer or something. He goes into this convenience store and is discussing about how his knees hurt and things. But what he said was he was trying to make his character a combination between Woody Allen. Yes. The <laughs> UFC fighter Conor McGregor yep. and the rapper Redman. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely going to bring up the fact that even though we're in San Francisco, he's playing it like a neurotic New Yorker. He is a transplant. It didn't work out for him in New York. San Francisco is his last option. He's got to make this work or there will be nothing else for him because he asked too many of the wrong questions. And we're going to see that here with Drake. And it just ends up with it blowing up in his face. I gotta ask, was there something about his character? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot left on the cutting room floor, but was he like the Hulk? Did he have an anger issue? Because yeah, when he talks to the store owner, she's like, have you been meditating? And we see him try to meditate. I'm like, oh, that's got to come back later. That's how he's going to control the venom inside of him through meditation. I'm sure something like that happened and got cut out, but I did feel like there was supposed to be more anger in him. And, and we just never saw that though in this film. After he breaks up with Anne, and we'll talk about Michelle Williams in a moment, he moves into this crap apartment, and his neighbor plays loud music, and we see him in almost this Hulk-out pose. Like, I thought he was going to go kick the guy's ass and just have an anger management issue to begin with, but instead, yeah, after this Hulk-out pose, he then just goes and buries his head in a pillow. In an apartment that would cost minimum $5,000 a month in San Francisco, you would not be able to live there without having a job. Sorry, biggest strike against this film. Yeah, that's a common mistake. People will always have you believe that there's affordable rents in major cities. There's not. <laughs> uh, but to your point about what's going on here, I saw even in an early scene where he goes to talk to his boss, he's afraid to look at the view. He's afraid of heights. They're teasing all kinds of anxieties about this character that I imagine get 
put on the cutting room floor. He is supposed to learn from Venom how to overcome these neurosis. And does that transpire? Not really, because they pared down so much of this film. Here's what was said. And another reason I was really scared to see this movie. It's never good when before the movie comes out, people involved with the creation start to distance themselves. And I started to get a Josh Trank Fantastic Four vibe when Tom Hardy was in an interview and he was asked just by Joe Blow reporter, what's your favorite scene in the movie? And he goes... Oh, all the ones that were cut out. There were 40 minutes of my favorite scenes on the cutting room floor. And he was doing this interview with Riz Ahmed there. And Riz was like, well, Tom, maybe those scenes weren't as good as you think. And then Tom is like, is somebody going to play the sound of silence over me? Do I look like sad Affleck now? (laughs) So he's actually referencing Justice League's failure and referring to Venom. And I'm like, shit, if he is saying this already before the movie's out, that's not a good sign. What he's come out and said later, after I'm sure some Sony execs had a talking to with him and his agent, is he did a lot of improv in this. And he said there's probably seven hours on the cutting room floor of him doing improv, trying different things with the characters, some of which worked, some of which didn't. And There's certain lines in this movie that I cannot imagine somebody writing. It felt like an ad lib to me. Like Like having a symbiote up your ass? Yes, that is the exact line that I'm like, nobody wrote the scene, I have had a symbiote shoved up my ass. That's something Tom Hardy came up with. I wonder if this anger stuff and things were all... You know, maybe the director couldn't control Hardy, and so what we got was a really strange performance with no real through line of character. Yeah, for whatever, all we can judge is what we're seeing here. And what I'm seeing here are kernels of ideas dropped around, but in general, he comes off as, yeah, a nerd. Yeah, he rides a motorcycle, and yeah, he's got arm sleeves, but for the most part, this guy is not Eddie Brock, tough bully of Peter Parker. This is a nerd who wants to do right, and will have to wait a very long time to find the alter ego that can help him come out of his shell. The first time I saw this movie, I thought this first act took forever. I was really thinking, all right, 30 minutes of the symbiote traveling from Malaysia or whatever, and Brock losing his girlfriend and having to get down on his luck so he can claw his way back up from it. But it's actually a little longer than 30 minutes. What we have to hold us over is really action in Malaysia because that EMT eventually gets to a city where she bites the head off an eel and kills some gangsters or actually they're probably just trying to defend the person she beat up yeah it's a market yeah she kills everyone in the market except an old lady an outdoor market there are people just selling food no i'm just saying who are the guys with the guns who started to approach her people that are in the market they probably were selling those guns (laughs) but she then transfers this riot symbiote out of the emt body and into a very old lady who's Going to keep that symbiote for a long time. Yeah, is that why it takes six months for her to get to the airport and get to San Francisco? (laughs) Again, I'm wondering if there's cut scenes like, was this old lady with riot inside of her, like trying to find where the other symbiotes went so she could get there? Is there an explanation why she just sits around for six months? I have wondered why 
this riot symbiote knows how to go where it's going. When it was in the EMT body, it looked at like a patch off of Jameson's space uniform and saw Life Foundation. Can symbiotes read? I mean, we're going to find out they're in your head. They know what you know. But somehow it knew enough to know it needs to get to an international airport and take over a little white girl to get through customs. It took six months, though, to know that. <laughs> yeah, something went wrong. I think it's post-production. I'm guessing they've added these scenes later to try and make this very long act one more exciting. There's no real reason to understand why it's going to take so long for the villain to reach the villainous Elon Musk character. And that's that's all Riot really wants to do. But I do think these scenes remind us of cool symbiote kind of stuff as we're watching a lot of Brock now living in misery, living in squalor supposedly again you couldn't afford this life he has in san francisco <laughs> but he would have been one of the homeless whose bodies was dumped in the garbage at this point yeah i found this to be very odd they're going to show us time and time again eddie brock's a good person i mean in those early news reports he's talking about the homeless he has a real thing for the homeless i don't know why he's not volunteering at a homeless shelter but unemployed He's out drinking, and I can kind of get that. You know, he's going to turn to alcohol in this time. But then he goes to that regular grocery store he goes to, and there's this homeless woman sitting out front who stole the free newspapers that he needs to look for jobs, and she offers to sell him one for $5. And here he, unemployed for six months and living in this squalor apartment <laughs> that Jacob says that none of us could afford at 5000 a month, he's like, I'll give you $20 if you don't sing me a song. I'm like, 20 bucks is a lot of money when you don't have a job. Yeah, this is poorly setting up Maria, who will be the one that ultimately infects him. I mean, I can believe that he talks to the homeless. They live on the street. They can tell you what's going on in the street. But this is taking far too long. I mean, we've got to also establish at the same time that Carlton Drake is trying to make the symbiotes merge with rabbits and it's not working. So now he's taking these homeless people and we meet this guy, Isaac, that becomes this patsy that walks in and absorbs one. And guess what? Symbiotes don't want to be homeless. You know, they want <laughs> to be an important people. They do not want to be in people that can't do anything for them. I thought that Isaac was Adam Sandler real briefly. When they walk him in, he's got that stubbly face. It really looks like 90s Adam Sandler. I'm like, is that a cameo? <laughs> Well, what I noticed when they were testing on the rabbit and on Isaac and the other homeless people, these symbiotes are different colors. There's a yellow one, a blue one, and a black one. And Arnie, I got to wonder if you were thinking the same thing as me. I'm like, oh, there's that other one traveling around. They keep showing it kind of black, but I'm like, that's got to be carnage. That's going to be the red one. But I had no idea who Riot was. That is one that has gone by me. I went in thinking carnage was the bad guy. It had been the rumor. It's what makes sense. It's what you think of when you think of Venom and his nemesis with symbiote. But there's a lot of symbiotes. There's like 18 or 20. Yeah, Toxin. Yeah, they all have very scary names. But after I saw this movie, I went and looked. I'm like, who the hell is Riot? It turns out Riot is a name that was never even said in a comic, but it was the name given to the action figure based on the comic. But let me just really quick give you the storyline. This is way back from one of those Venom series, is that the Life Foundation took Eddie Brock, and this is after Carnage was made, took Venom and found that there were five more seeds in him. So we could have five more offspring. And they extract it and create five new symbiotes, all of whom were different colors. 
and you had Scream, who was a female one, who was yellow, and you had Agony, Lasher, Phage, and then Riot. And what the director said is we picked Riot out of the group because... He looked coolest. He had the nicest visual thing, and none of them really mattered more than any other. Scream came back for a few more comics, but most of these guys just died right away. And you'll notice, though, one of the symbiotes is yellow. That's supposed to reference Scream. Yes. And the other one is orange. I'm pretty sure what we have here is Venom, Lasher, Scream, and Riot. They lose track of one here, though. It's kind of confusing. We know that Riot is the one slowly making his way to the Malaysian airport. We know that Venom is going to ultimately be put into Maria, and when Brock is brought in by this whistleblower that he is going to suck face with Maria and become Venom. The whistleblower is going to be given as punishment one of them. I assume that was Carnage because it busts out of her and crawls away. Yeah, I think it was the blue one. And then there's a fourth canister that just never is brought up again. I know that they have this other homeless person. Was he infected with it? Well, I think it's the one that went into the bunny. The yellow one went into the bunny and then the bunny died and we see this yellow pile of schmoo. So I think that's where one of them died. No, but then it went into... Yeah, that Jacob character. And I think it killed him because they tell us, oh, it's eating his insides because I guess the symbiotes need fresh organs they want to eat. And so if it can't get it from an external source, it will start eating the host liver and heart and all that. Right. So they die. When we see this Isaac, he obviously dies. The symbiote dies with him. No, the symbiote jumped out. It wanted to merge, I thought, with Drake. It, like, jumped at the glass right where Drake was standing. So, no, the symbiote doesn't die. The only time we know for a fact one died is when it couldn't find a new host fast enough. So, if a symbiote is out of its container and can't find someone to merge with, it will starve to death. And it can't exist in our atmosphere, they say, so that's why it needs a human host. Yeah, all of this is so confusing, particularly since we're to understand there was a space mission that picked four of these up, but it was a whole planet full of them. They say it was off a comet, and there were millions of them on a comet. No, there's millions on a planet. Oh, okay. There were some on a comet. All right. Okay. I feel like we needed to see more of that or explain more of that. An early draft of the script actually started on the symbiote home planet of Clintar. I don't want to go to the symbiote planet. They decided they would hold that. I mean, that's actually a pretty big thing in the Marvel comics, Clintar. It is. Yeah, I just don't want to see it. <laughs> they said that there's hopefully a lot more movies and they didn't just want to start with Clintar. So they just leave this kind of mysterious where they came from and just mentioned in passing there was a comet. Yeah, why not just have two symbiotes since that's all that really matters here. There's Riot that is slowly making his way into Drake. And then there is Venom that says, I've always wanted to get to Brock. That was always the plan. And maybe they're enemies. We'll ultimately find out that what was on the comet was all part of a squad under Riot. That he was their leader and that the plan was to find a world to eat, I suppose. And Earth looks pretty delicious now that they're here. 
But I want to clarify, I don't think Venom knew about Brock or wanted to get into Brock. It was just trying to find a host. They talk about like organ transplants and it's even like the screenwriters didn't feel like opening up wiki and learning about organ transplants and rejection and all of that. But in the end, all Venom wanted was a host with whom he was compatible. Maria, the homeless person who stole newspapers, was not compatible enough. And so he had to jump to a new living body. Brock is smuggled in by Dr. Skirth and he sees Maria tries to break her out. The symbiote just jumps bodies because that's what the symbiotes do when they need to survive. And it just was like, oh, this is a comfy host. I kind of like it here. I'm going to eat his heart. The one thing that really bothers me in this movie is later on, they're going to be like, he's eating in your organs. Your heart has atrophied. And Venom's like, no, I can fix it. They never bring this up again. I'm like, oh, there's so much stuff like that that never gets brought up. We'll see... Brock, like, break both of his legs, and I get it when Venom's in him, he can, like, move him around like a puppet, but when he goes out of him... No, he can heal. He can heal him. He heals him? Okay. I, I was just like, what are the physics here? Like, does it stick with Brock if Venom's not there? Okay, I guess he fixes him all up, and then he's fine. All right. Yeah, it's like nanotechnology, you know, how they talk about eventually they'll be able to release these tiny little things that any problems we have, they'll repair. There's a lot of stuff that's nebulous, but once Venom gets in Brock, and it took a long time the first time I saw this movie for that to happen, it felt eternal. I think it was actually, what, 45 minutes? Something like that. But the second time I saw the movie, it was still too long, but it was faster. All of a sudden, we are in this slapstick movie. It took me the second viewing to realize exactly what movie I had seen this before. All of me was Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. Oh, I have a different one. And we just reviewed it a year ago. Monster trucks. Like the, all the tentacle stuff and like they become pals. Suddenly this is a kid's film and I did not see it going there. I didn't have a reference, but I felt like, oh, this is the Spider-Man 3 Raimi probably would have made if he didn't have the studio interfering so much. It feels like it goes so campy. I don't know how intentional that is, but I... And the rest of the audience, too, were laughing a lot. And I don't know how much, for me, a lot of it was at the film. Because I'm like, this is bizarre. These are just the weirdest choices that are being made in this movie. But I'm enjoying it because it feels so campy once Venom emerges. My audience was all laughing. And here's the thing. They laughed in unison at punchlines. It becomes this farcical comedy. I know that... You mentioned Ren and Stimpy. I was actually thinking almost a Laurel and Hardy thing, only with a Buster Keaton type body performance here. But no, when Brock is surrounded by guys with guns and there he's like putting his arms up. Why did you do that? Because it's the right thing to do. Put them down. Put them up. Put them down. Yeah, Tom Hardy also doing Venom's voice with some modulation, but love those Tom Hardy voices. I honestly, from the trailer... <laughs> thought it was Tony Todd. It sounded like Candyman <laughs> in the trailer. But it's so obviously Riz Ahmed doing the voice of Riot that I'm like, that must be Tom Hardy as Venom too. And it was. But I'm strangely enjoying this weird buddy comedy that suddenly starts happening when he starts doing the it reminded me of Black Widow in Iron Man 2 he's trying to escape the life foundation and he's jumping off walls he doesn't know how he's doing it and sliding down the hallway I'm like this is decent action and when the voice starts appearing in his head it's like Eddie hungry and the eyes appear on Tom Hardy just briefly when it says hungry. And here we see Brock 
a slave to the beast is that I mean, he's eating rotted chicken out of the garbage. He's eating frozen tater tots and throwing up. And we get the scene where the anger comes in. The neighbor starts playing the music and the sound hurts Venom. And so he goes next door and asks the neighbor finally to shut the music off. And then we get this like teen wolf moment. It's like the <laughs> I want a case of beer where he just makes the venom face. And this looked so cartoony and cheap with the teeth and the eyes on Tom Hardy. But he gets the guy to turn the music off. I'm really kind of being pulled in. But the horror that I knew couldn't stick around for the whole it's movie gone. is now gone. <laughs> it, we have totally shifted entirely at this 45 minute mark. But we go into something more consistent and in my mind, better. I would say lazier. It's a little disappointing they couldn't keep the Mephistopheles element to like, it's a deal with the devil, right? When you accept Venom, he'll give you what you want, but then you have to do bad things. I thought that this was like Jekyll and Hyde. Like there's a long tradition of people that make packs with the devil. That's to me what I thought accepting Venom would do for this goody two-shoes. That It's going to end up with him climbing into a lobster tank like it's a sauna <laughs> and like just disrupting a fancy restaurant. You are now playing to an entirely different audience. That's never what Venom was, though. He was never the deal with the devil. He would do kind of what you wanted him to do. All he wanted was to be part of Spider-Man. He increased aggression and things like that, but he never... It was never really part of those early comics. I guess later on it became part of it as to why he needed to eat brains or why he was so going on and on about eating brains. But when he was on Spider-Man, Spider-Man wasn't craving frontal lobes and he didn't even do anything that much too bad. He just kind of went swinging at night and didn't know why and every so often got a little too aggressive. And there are good and bad symbiotes as you can see with the Venom Lethal Protector, it becomes, in the comic, I've always thought of it as a single person. I do like how they have the internal monologue that works here. It really allows me to see a different side of Eddie Brock and Venom than I'd ever thought of before, because they're just in unison. They're like, we want the same thing. That's what makes us compatible, is we both want to kill Spider-Man, and so we're just going to chill together, and we both plan together see i think they answer the why too late i would have appreciated a little bit earlier why venom sticks around with eddie because i agree with you Stuart. i think if i was writing this movie my instinct would be jekyll and hyde what is eddie getting out of this deal by letting venom take over it's fulfilling something he needed and it's got to fulfill something for venom the punchline is venom sticks around and i do love the line because this becomes a campy farcical superhero movie by the end like oh i'm a loser on my planet too and you're a loser too so let's hang out be losers together yeah that is just not where i wanted it to go again i think about like what could it do for you now that it's in you an obvious repair is his relationship michelle williams the woman he was going to Mary, six months later, is attached herself to a successful surgeon living in the house you used to have, not thinking about you. What if Venom could make her fall for you again? And I'm not talking Spider-Man 3 dance moves, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> there is a scene like that where Venom's like, apologize to her. But it was followed with a punchline, you may not survive to have another chance. And that got a big laugh from my eyes, and I didn't even catch it as a joke. I took it as very literal, and everybody's laughing, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I guess that was funny. 
the more that you use venom, the deeper it gets into your pores, the more that it eats your organs, the more that it rots. I mean, that is a conventional way of how we think of evil. It charms us into being our worst selves. That would be the adult way of looking at that. Now that we just have slapstick, I wonder if the children were served by the first 45 minutes then. They should have made a very different opening if that was where they were going to go. They do make some really strange choices here, some of which are by necessity. Like Venom's powers, once he gets in Brock, he moves like the Venom I know. He clings to walls, but he's doing it like Hulk, like in the Ang Lee films and things, because he's not able to stick to walls, but he's able to dig his fingers in and get a handhold. And he's not web swinging. And he never shoots webs, right? Yeah. Mm, no, he just shoots tentacles that become hands and then swings like Tarzan. Yeah, it's a subtle difference. There is a scene clearly when the SWAT team comes for him in his apartment. He gets out of there by going to the neighbor building, smashing through the window. It looked like he was swinging like Spider-Man. Yeah, but you know what? If you watch those, what Spider-Man does, he's not like slinging webs to knock guns out of people's hands and things like that. It is these black tentacles that come out of them. Yeah, it is a subtle difference because in the comic, Venom was evil Spider-Man, a much bigger but evil Spider-Man. The powers he had were spider powers. He could shoot webs, he could climb walls and all of that. And here, it is different, but yet it moves like the symbiote does in Spider-Man 3. Did you guys notice? I mean, it was very tendon-like. You know, it wasn't like a puddle. It was always like a bunch of strands coming together. It even does one where he's fighting those SWAT guys in the apartment. He pulls his fingers apart like Taffy. I was reminded of that Doctor Strange move where Doctor Strange did that with the yellow light. It's reminiscent of what I saw, but yet subtly different so that they don't have to explain that Spider-Man is in any any way involved but yeah here we have venom basically taking over the human body we're not going to see venom the suit for a while still we're going to see tendrils shoot out and things and it's still reminding me of the thing and that the arm just becomes this tendril and shoots and then comes back in his hand again it's weird you go into carpet i never ever thought about the thing i was thinking about spider-man this is what spider-man would do with the webs i mean he's gonna invade a dog yeah i'm there with you arnie i did think of the thing a lot during this i also did think of ant-man and wasp we were just here in san francisco having a car chase how different it feels how more strained it feels that they're trying to have the same fun on the streets and the motorbike i do not think they are nearly as successful no this feels again like that first deadpool movie not a lot of money is being invested in this and yeah i don't think any the action is that great. I'm glad it's campy and I'm laughing because this action, it's pretty rote. I'm shocked that what are these nuclear powered drones that explode <laughs> like freaking C4 when they crash? I really do like the scene though. And I'm getting all these movie references out of this. It's like I could almost make Venom as a cut from a number of different films. But when he's riding the motorcycle really crazy and there's the Venom coming up the arms, but he's still Eddie Brock. I'm now thinking of Dan from Nightmare on Elm Street 5 when he started becoming the motorcycle guy. I'm like, fuel injection! But when he flies off the bike and the bike is going and it's all in slow-mo and you see Brock above the bike and the tentacles reach out, grab the bike and pull him on it. It's fun superhero type stuff. It put a smile on my face. 
It did too for me when I watched Monster Trucks, which is a movie for children. That is exactly what the creature in the undercarriage of that truck did, was that it would make the car fly around and whenever you went over the cliff, it could grab the tree and swing you back. That's fine if you want to make that. I, I thought that was a weird choice for what they set themselves up to do. It wasn't the movie they started out making. That's all I'm arguing. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying it's bad that these two have been mashed together side by side. I agree. I wanted a scary horror Venom that was R-rated. I thought that would be awesome. What they end up giving me, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm kind of enjoying myself. Like Arnie, I'm just, oh yeah, this is kind of goofy and fun. It's not the movie I would have made, but I'm still liking it. That's where I'm at, is it's not the movie it started off being, but I can't help but say I'm enjoying it. And then finally Venom comes out. He falls off the bike and the full Venom suit takes over and the scenes in the trailer where it comes over his head. And he bites a guy's head off. I mean, it's really hard to see. It is hard to see. I had to. Does he? I caught it on the second time watching. The first time, I actually asked the guys I went with. I'm like, did anyone see him bite a head off? They're like, yeah, he bit a head off. There's like three or four heads that get bit off in this film. And every time, they have to tell you because you cannot tell. A character will just not be in the movie anymore. And they're like, oh, yeah, I bit his head off. I'm like, okay, that's what happened to him. They can't show us that because it's PG-13. You can see a mouth go over a head. What you you can never see as a decapitated body. I did laugh, though, at when he, they beat up all the SWAT guys. Venom's like, now let's take all their heads off. Why would we do that? Pile of bodies, pile of heads. <laughs> and this is when I wish it was Deadpool and they just went with that R rating because that very dark humor, I would have loved it. And eventually he insinuates why he's here in the first place. They decide that they're going to go back to the TV network that fired Brock scale the building he doesn't have to get past the front security desk he can just get over his fear of heights and climb to the roof and it's said that your world is not so ugly almost sorry to see it in this is where we learn that the symbiotes are very much in control here they weren't taken by drake they were looking for a planet to eat up and so they have a whole bunch of them going to be brought back Venom changes his mind on this. I mean, they have that conversation where, again, I can splice it together from movies. It reminded me of Men in Black 2, how Johnny Knoxville had the other Johnny Knoxville head coming off of him. And here Venom kind of pops out like a second head. Come on, looks so much better than that. Did it? This movie's CGI was not good. It's not great, but it was better than the Johnny Knoxville fake head. Okay, it was better than Johnny Knoxville. But they have that conversation where he's like, you consider yourself my ride. We'll do what I need and you get to survive. That's the deal. But yet at some point, I guess, here's what I've read online and I didn't catch it the first time. But watch it the second time. I have read that Venom is the most LBGTQ positive film ever because what you have is basically Venom falls in love with Eddie and decides to stay on Earth and fight his entire race so that he and Eddie can be together. And they're even going to have a makeout session. So he could be inside Eddie? Uh-huh. Sort of, but it's also established he was a loser on his other planet and they treated him bad. So here he can be cool. Here he can enjoy the fruits of everything and not be 
bullied and pushed around. Well, he does say Earth is a beautiful planet when he's up at the top of the news station. He's like, oh, your world isn't so ugly and it's actually peaceful here. But later on, Brock is going to say like, what made you change your mind? And he's like, it was you, Eddie. Yeah. On the cutting room floor, there is no scene to show that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I didn't even get it the first time I saw the movie. I'm like, what is he talking about? And the second time I watch it, I'm like, wait, is he saying he loves Eddie? <laughs> Well, there's got to be a lot on the cutting room floor because there's so much just exposition. Yeah, Venom's just going to say, oh, I'm here because uh, because of you. And oh, guess what my weaknesses are? High frequencies and fire also. Nothing motivates like a lot of these lines. They just come out because they cut out important scenes. And I think they had to throw something else in here. Is that part of Venom's comic book lore? Is that you don't remember Spider-Man 3 with the bell ringing? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> from it. I know fire can hurt, but it, it always seems to be sound is the big weakness. Yeah, we already saw a scene where he was in the MRI machine and he was still mostly Tom Hardy looking at that point, but kind of twittered a little and became uh, Venom. Here, it's a near-death experience. He's on top of the building, the plane passes, and Venom loses control for a bit. And if he falls off and splats, they both die. They need each other. One cannot live without the other, but it's kind of a cheat because Venom can take bullets and it doesn't seem like he would be easy to kill. Right, it's just if the sound was going and he splatted at that time. But he does leave a cell phone for his old boss. And I was very concerned because he did not leave the password to the cell phone. How is he going to get those photos? I was wondering the same thing. I'm like, is it my wife said the same thing to me, too? I was watching this. I'm like, that was my thought, too. I'm hoping it's a scene they decided not to include where he removes the passcode and leaves the phone unsecure. <laughs> The biggest laugh both times I saw this movie for me and for others is after he does that, Venom's like, jump out the window. Smash cut to him hitting the down button on the elevator and Venom goes, pussy. That was a good one, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. It was perfectly timed and it just shows the banter between them. And again, not the horror film I wanted, but oh, we're going to just go with camp? Okay, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's a buddy cop film at this point. A good cop, bad cop. Black cop, white cop. I mean, it, it's just a different <laughs> film. And I'm adjusting to this, but now it will become a different film because in walks Michelle Williams, who wants in on this action still. Even though she had moved on with another boyfriend, she's really concerned with making him well and trying to get him to the hospital. And getting a good paycheck. I had to research Michelle Williams. I mean, I know her from Dawson's Creek. I know she's done other stuff. I've seen her in Brokeback Mountain. But I, after Dawson's Creek, she seems to pick movies that I don't have a whole lot of interest in seeing. The more artsy films. I haven't seen her, for lack of a better term, sell out until today. So I looked it up and I'm like, why did she take this movie? And, you know, she's like, well... I like new challenges and I want to try to expand things, but she wants some of that Marvel money. Finally, I found the interview where she'd been asked the question too many times and she's like, well, I have decisions to take care of my family. I live in the real world. I have needs and I'm starting to think about retirement, which is something I didn't think of back in the days of Dawson's Creek. So yeah, she wanted the payday. And there's no stigma to it anymore. It used to be you snickered at your friends that had to put on the spandex. But tell me an actor that hasn't approached at this point. Rare are the actors who don't do it. 
So why not do it? And yeah, it's not like she has to do it much in this film. You barely notice that she's here. And she has the world's most understanding boyfriend, master of all doctorisms, but he's described just as surgeon, not, you know, podiatrist or cardio surgeon or, you know, for all I know, he's a dental surgeon, but he's surgeon Dr. Dan, and he's going to be the one to try to help Tom out. He's going to, he's a surgeon, but he's going to run the MRIs. He's going to look at the CAT scans. He's doing everything, this Dr. Dan. Right. Now it's a romantic comedy and we we want her away from this guy and we want them to patch it back up together and i think mm, is this the film they wanted to make and i mean there's no way to get to your heartstrings at this point it's been too absurd there's no way we're going to care whether this lawyer gets back together with this investigative reporter there's no chance of that i don't know if it follows the rules, though, of the rom-com, because Dr. Dan is too nice. In most rom-coms, you'd see that she's with a guy she shouldn't be with. He's not right for her. Yeah, Venom's got to walk in on Dr. Dan, like, stooping some other nurse or something and be mm-hmm. like, he's really a bad guy. Yeah, but Dr. Dan's really understanding. I mean, He's super nice. This is <laughs> her ex-boyfriend, who she was engaged to six months ago. He's not only going to do all of this doctor work presumably for free i don't know where unemployed brock is getting his insurance but more he's completely fine with ann going off and helping him out and at one point ann's like i know there's nothing going on between me and eddie and he's like i never thought there was he's just the most he's he's the nicest guy ever I wouldn't be threatened by Eddie either. I mean, he's dying of some strange mass in him. I mean, he knows that much. So I think just from a scientific perspective, you just want to get the guy into the hospital and see what he's got and try to help him. I mean, he's a freak of nature. And so, you know, that's what we have here. It's her really to figure out we got to play the MRI sound again. And Venom, for a short period of time, is separated from his host. And we have Eddie Brock now healed. This was the moment I was talking about where we find out that he was causing heart damage that can't be repaired by normal science to Brock. And it's never brought up again. That is the most frustrating thing to me. But what would you want to hear? I mean, I get it. It's easy eating the organs. That's what I understand. Yeah, I thought that was just set up for like... I got to be in you forever because if I leave, that heart's going to die and you're going to die. Yeah, I just wanted something where beyond Venom going, I can fix it. I want Venom to go, okay, I fixed it. And Dr. Dan to be like, wow, your heart's better. (laughs) Something to tell me that this continued symbiosis at the end of the movie is a good thing and not that he's a ticking time bomb ready for a cardiac event. Oh, I think he is a ticking time bomb. I do think... That the implication is, if you don't let me eat live animals, I'll eat you. And I thought we were going to see Venom eat a live animal. They introduce in this hospital Gemini, this little puppy this old woman has. And they shouldn't let puppies in the hospital. I agree with the nurses there. But I'm like, oh, that's Venom food. But that's not where they go. Right. And it becomes a means for the dog to get with Anne. That it actually, as he's being dragged away by the security Life Foundation guys, Trees and the men, that she will be the one to rescue him. We're going to get some She-Venom. Yep, that's straight from the comic. She-Venom, it's uh, kind of sexy, isn't it? <laughs> or is it just me? I mean, it becomes really tall, really like, you know, 
Spandexy. I think it's just you, Arnie. Do you have a statue of Chi Venom? That's my question. No, I do not have a statue of Chi Venom. Have they made one? Shocked they haven't. I feel like they're playing off maybe the best known moment in Spider-Man movie history, the upside down kiss, right? Like everyone remembers and they think about the love story anyway, the way that Mary Jane, uh, partially pulled back the mask and gave Tobey Maguire a kiss. And I think, wouldn't it be something if she's the one to both kiss him and transfer Venom back into him? It's both the fulfillment of getting the girl again and being stuck with the thing that he claims he doesn't want. And it's really kind of funny because it happens right after she bit a head off. And I'm like, that's gotta be salty, bloody, brainy (laughs) kiss. And I thought the kiss... I just took it as a kiss between Anne and Eddie. Like those two had almost been married, definitely loved each other. And she saves his life as she venom. So this kiss, I thought maybe it was releasing the passion inside Anne, but really it's venom kissing Eddie as a way to take Eddie back over. It's a really weird, like menage a kiss. Right. It's not kinky enough for me, frankly. I wish it. I wish it were as uh, subversive as you're insinuating. It's. It could have been. It would have been interesting to play with that. But. It's. Just, it's just strange to me how to read this, and especially after reading some stuff online and then watching it again, it's kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street two. It, there's stuff there if you think to look for it, but it's not completely blatant. But yeah, seeing Eddie make out with Venom, even if it is a she Venom, is a fun funny visual. I I love that scene. I love how Anne gets to kick some ass. I was thinking, okay, we're in this era of Me Too. This movie came out the weekend of Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation on the Supreme Court. I'm thinking about all these women's issues. And then they're like, Anne is going to be left in the woods. Take her superpowers away to give them back to the man. Yes. And Venom is like, she can't handle this. And he takes over Eddie's body. Not this time. And runs off. She will show up later on for a few seconds to do something important. But I did think that, yeah, they really knocked the woman to the sideline. But they did give her this moment. And it was a good moment. Yeah, I feel like they needed to give Michelle Williams something to do. They're going to hire an actress of her caliber. Meanwhile, it's worth pointing out the little girl has finally caught up with Carlton Drake in his lab. He really needs to get cameras in that place. It's crazy to me. He spits half the movie. My wife said that. She's like, how is Tom Hardy walking around this place and not getting busted by security? There's got to be cameras there. Yeah, they can never find who did it. They need to like lean on the scientist that betrayed him. I'm like, get a camera, have it on your subjects. You'll know what happens to them at all times. He doesn't know that this little girl has infiltrated his lab and she gets him. And so now he is Riot. And Riot wants to take his next rocket up to space and go get his brethren. And this is not something Drake would even be against because his goal is to merge all humans with symbiotes so that we can survive climate change and go live in space. Although I don't think they're coming back to just symbiotically get into our DNA. They're coming back to eat our heads. Yeah, it feels like they go from planet to planet, just eating everyone, taking them over, eating them, and then find the next planet. Yeah, I, I don't sense that this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. But strangely, Drake does have... I would suppose, altruistic intent. He is trying to keep the species alive. Is he as compelling as Valentine and Kingsman? No, but he 
seems to have good means. You mentioned if he's able to slow the progression of pancreatic cancer, that's a good thing. Well, if he's trying to save the species, Spock would say he's doing the right thing. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few that are being eaten by symbiotes. Again, this won't save the species. This will make us their dinner. But I'm just saying what Drake's intent is. Yeah, I want to be saved ethically. I don't want Thanos to snap his fingers and make half of us disappear. I don't want to be eaten by symbiotes. I want some kind of ethical solution. I'm surprised that we're at the climax. It comes super fast. I mean, it took so long for Venom to find his host. The fact that all that he's done is jump to the top of a building and now a fight on a launch pad, that just wasn't enough. My biggest complaint is, look, they want to use Riot for whatever reason. You don't want to use Carnage, save him for the... For- saving for the next movie i don't know make this agony or make make it one that's a different color it's very hard to tell them apart especially because it's night as well it is it was transformers fight bad at times i'm like which one is which there's some cool visuals that happen in this fight i love the moment where riz ahmed and tom hardy are punching each other and you can see them in inside the symbiotes who are also punching each other outside it was very comic booky and very cool but yeah it's like the movie took so long to get started and then it sprinted to here and it does feel like i wanted more i wanted more time with eddie and venom to get to this point and i wanted more time with riz ahmed and riot i mean we just see him go in and kill his entire support staff so that he can take off on the ship alone it's it's reminding me a lot of some of those movies we've covered i guess i mean in some ways it's reminding me of iron man obadiah stain jumping into the ironmonger suit and deciding to tear up the streets of los angeles was also a little abrupt it just happened but we're we're here and it's symbiote versus symbiote and the fight's okay i like the fact that venom's saying we have no chance he has weapons you've never even considered and that yeah as team lead riot can shoot spikes and make a mace out of his hands and do all these things that venom can't do at one point does riot like consume venom and Eddie, and it's like four beings all together, because we see Riot, like, scaling the space shuttle to pilot it, and then, yeah, Michelle Williams will create some sound, and it'll all come apart, and, like, I'm like, oh, Eddie's in there, too? Like, again, it was very hard to understand what was going on in this fight. Yeah, it's a flurry of goo, and I I suspect that at the price tag they had, uh, you know, they could have done more, but they didn't. It, It honestly doesn't feel as impressive as the T-1000 effects that James Cameron was playing back in the rudimentary days of 1991. Well, that's because some of those were still practical as well as CGI, and this is all CGI. It's weird how many times the symbiotes separate from their hosts, and then the hosts reach out or the symbiotes reach out. It is a almost a tag team fight because two or three times Brock is separated from Venom and then they have to tag back in. And, you know, we think it takes sound or fire, but at one point Riot just grabs Venom and just rips him off like a freaking price tag of Eddie and leaves Eddie laying there. What I never saw was the moment in which Eddie said, I want Venom. You know, like I thought that would have been the story being told here is that, yeah, I was infected against my will. And, you know, I had a moment where I was free of it and was my life better. Uh, He ultimately accepts 
Caleb spin him back because he'll die otherwise. No, there is the moment. That moment is there. When The moment I just talked about where Riot rips Venom off of Eddie, Riot no longer cares about Eddie. Eddie is not a threat. He has Venom with no host and is just sitting there watching Venom die. And Eddie chooses to save Venom by crawling up and reaching out and touching Venom and allowing him to be taken over. And the only edge Venom has is that he has a good host. Riot even says that. It's like, wow, you have a really good host, and so you're good in a fight. So we see Eddie go out and say, I will become one with Venom again to save Venom. Eddie must have feelings for Venom the way Venom has for him. Yeah. But it could have been underlined. Again, I feel like that's the moment you really want to see. that He's going to help him out in a fight. Still doesn't say to me, I want you in my life. My life is better when I am Venom. I didn't see that moment in this movie. I don't see how it is better, except Venom said, we are losers. And then together they're like a team. I don't quite realize how it's, I mean, yes, out of all of this, they do save the world. They're able to use Riot's own weapon to tear apart the space shuttle and blow it up. But then how is Venom helping Eddie other than telling Eddie, I need you to go kill stuff so I can eat it. He's keeping him alive from that atrophied heart that he hasn't fixed yet. That's why he's got to keep Venom around. Again, a better movie would have shown that as as act two act two would have been about i am better when i use you and you're better when you use me and that symbiosis that's drama (laughs) no that's not in here if they filmed it it was cut yeah because i feel like if this was a horror superhero film then you would have had that whole thing what is it like to have this thing in you that maybe you don't want in you. We talked about that with like the thing and the fantastic four, like being turned into this monster and you, you just can't be human again. Like, yeah, there, there's just no drama like that. Or where Eddie decides that he's better off with venom in him. That That's all gone. And they throw in a couple lines of exposition and move on. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even get the exposition, <laughs> <laughs> but we do get this ending after riots gone. We're supposed to think that venom turned into a parachute to save Eddie and we get this goodbye Eddie voiceover and we think Venom's dead I guess I never thought it but it goes away pretty quick because all of a sudden we're now just outside the old apartment Ann and Eddie are processing what happened she's saying hey I'm just gonna go become a public defender which is movie for a good lawyer you know like now she'll be a do-gooder and we're to like her and you know he's going to go back to his investigative journalism the network's taking him back and he's got a big interview that he's not going to say what it is i assumed he was talking about venom i did too (laughs) i thought for sure that's what he was discussing but yeah we hear in the back look who's talking style she has no idea we're going to get her back and suddenly this has become like an 80s comedy like venom is just the pal that will sneakily uh figure out by the sequel uh, how to get these two lovebirds back on the same page and kick Dan to the curb. (laughs) And they're going to have help from Stan Lee. I did not expect a Stan Lee cameo in this film. I don't know why I didn't. I didn't expect one either. Yeah, he had no part in the creation of Venom. There was a name drop for McFarlane, the law firm that fired Anne was McFarlane and Michelini, the two, the writer and artist who created Venom. But 
I would have expected, to, I, I guess Todd McFarland and Marvel just don't get along anymore. He's off doing Spawn. So we're going to get Stan Lee here, who somehow knows Eddie Brock and Venom are together and are like, don't give up on her, either of you. It's no Excelsior, but I did like that Venom wanted to eat his dog. Just another funny line. This looks tasty. And then we end with what's probably the most famous scene used in the trailer. Uh, he goes back to Mrs. Chen's convenience store, and if... Venom is going to be allowed to eat bad people. Why not get the thug that has been leaning on her to give up her cash register and her whiskey? There's this whole debate between Venom and Eddie. Like, how far is Eddie going to let Venom go? And can I eat heads? Only if they're bad guys. You'll know if they're bad guys. And then they toy with this gang member that's been getting protection money from the store owner and they're like you know we're gonna eat your face off your head and your arms and your legs and you're gonna be this rolling turd in the wind and then they're like uh but maybe we'll let you go and you've learned your lesson I'm like oh come on you gotta eat the head you, you can't be a totally good guy you gotta be an anti-hero you gotta kill him and, and they, they do, do. Kind of. I'm like looking. I'm like, where's the body on the ground? Did he eat the whole body? I guess so. Because there's nothing laying on the ground. Has anyone ever seen a turd blowing in the wind? That would be some gale force, like super hurricane kind of winds. I don't know what your turds look like, but mine don't have liftoff that's like easy. Nor when I see amputees do I think you look like a turd. But I've never seen an armless, legless, faceless thing blowing in the wind. Yeah, it's a bad laugh line, but I guess it'll have to do because that's how they want to go out on here. Don't call them a parasite and turd in the wind. I can like the parasite stuff. The turd in the wind, I didn't like it in the trailer. I don't like it in the movie. I actually thought it was on the cutting room floor. As this movie's ending, I'm like, that whole turd in the wind thing, the whole I'm going to eat your arms and your legs and your face, it's not in here. The whole we can do whatever we want. All this shit wasn't in. Oh, wait, it's all in the last 60 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But then the credits start rolling. I knew there were two credit scenes. I've, I've got to ask, is Eminem, is he on Sony? Like, how did they get him to do an exclusive song? And they got Run the Jewels to do an exclusive song. I know they're not on Sony. Do you guys remember when Eminem used to have integrity? I mean, I'm not... No, I think he, he always did, liked money. But I used to like Eminem a lot. I'd listen to his albums and things. I was a little outside his demo being older, but his songs were about him. And I mean, I remember when Triumph, the insult comic dog and Borat like ambushed him at the MTV Movie Awards and he was really pissed off and like was about to punch Robert Smeagol and things. And he was non-commercial. He was going to do things his way. And if you liked it, that's great because he wanted your money. But to basically bring us the 21st century Adam's Groove or Ninja Rap as sung by Eminem in Eminem's worst <laughs> song in his entire catalog, Venom, Venom, Venom. It's like, whoa, I thought it was a Slim Shady ripoff. I'm like, there's no way. Oh, that's really Eminem really selling out. Does does little Haley need college funds? What the fuck? He's no Bobby <laughs> Brown. I'll, I'll definitely give you that. I was missing Vigo and Evo. <laughs> I, he actually rhymes loco with symbiote. Oh, oof. Yeah, that seems on par for Eminem. I was excited to run the jewels there. My wife, big fan of theirs. And Marvel has done run the jewels variant covers with like Deadpool doing their little, you know, gun and fist hand symbol. So I, I thought that was a cool little Easter egg. I guess that it was a surprise. They announced it like the day... Venom came out on Twitter. They're like, stay for the post-credit scene. Yeah, I just... 
I cannot believe that they did this. Lick a salad bowl, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, Eminem's lost it. I mean, yeah, I agree. He, I was never really a fan, but you could at least believe that he had something to say, and this is having nothing to say. Yeah, I, I truthfully have lost respect for Eminem, and I truly had respect for Eminem. Let's not forget... His songwriters won an Academy Award for a song that he rapped. Yeah, well, he's one of them. I mean, he won that award. Yeah, he didn't show up to take it. Yeah, that's because he's so cool. Yeah, he's not getting... I, I truthfully expect the Razzie for Venom. It is the worst song I've heard in a movie in a hell of a long time. It's almost as bad as that wig they put on Woody Harrelson. Oh, but again, because of the movie I just sat through, I'm like, oh, makes sense. Woody Harrelson's going to have a crazy Ronald McDonald wig in this. And I'm like, dang, I hope this film makes some money because I want to see him doing carnage. It's just going to be a camp fest with him and Tom Hardy. And Robert Fleischer made Zombieland. Woody Harrelson, I feel like we've seen him a lot lately between Solo and Planet of the Apes and Hunger Games. Yeah, he's just he's he's everywhere. And so why not be carnage? Woody Harrelson, we reviewed Natural Born Killers, and Carnage is kind of like a Mickey Knox in that just killing for crazy fun, but I just never saw Carnage as being in his 50s, you know? He always seemed like a younger serial killer to me. I mean, isn't a name Cletus? Yeah. Yeah, no no one under 50 has that name. <laughs> they did when they created Cletus. No, in the 90s, no one under 50 was named Cletus either. <laughs> I'm just, he just seems a little old, but yet he made the facial expressions that I'm like, if they fix that wig, I could actually really want to see this. Harrelson is a very good actor. And I walked out of that theater thinking, though, that'll never, ever happen. Just like we're never going to see Jesse Eisenberg reteam with Slade from the end of the Justice League. We're never going to see Woody Harrelson in red symbiote suit. And wait, what the hell? The, the biggest October opening of all time by a lot? Yeah, we're going to see it. And we're probably going to see silver and black and Morbius and everything. I don't know how the hell they pulled it off. And this was primarily to an under 25 demo. It hit the young audience. So that PG-13 rating got them the money they wanted. It's already doubled its budget globally. Yeah. And we're definitely going to see the end stinger. You mean the commercial? In just a couple months, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. They've chopped a scene from this animated movie that I knew was coming. It's a pleasant surprise. I had seen the trailer, but I guess I just didn't process how it was going to be animated. And it's actually quite beautiful. Yeah, I'm wonder I want to see the movie just still trying to figure out the animation process there. I'm sure it's some kind of computer thing, but it is very unique. My problem was I saw the trailer right before Venom and then I sat through all these credits. I got to pee. And then you're going to play me like a five minute scene from the film. I'm like, I got to go. That's the thing is I knew there were two credit stingers in Venom and one was for Carnage. I'm like, well, what can the other one be? Is Riot going to come up? You know, usually the second one's something pretty short. And then it's like, and what got me is I'm reading the credits and I just see when they're doing the music, I'm like, holy crap, that really was Eminem. Yeah, the last music credit is Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I was like, did they play some Spider-Verse? Is Tom Hardy going to be a voice in the Spider-Verse cartoon? What are they doing? And then immediately they cut to this, 
And I'm kind of the opposite, although admittedly, the first time I watched this IMAX screening, I got those 3D glasses on and I thought it looked terrible and was hurting my eyes. It turns out even if you see a 3D showing, this is a 2D scene. So when I saw it the second time I took off the glasses, it was much better without polarized glasses on. But my excitement for this movie was pretty high after the first two trailers. Is that because Spider-Ham's in it? I actually am excited about Spider-Ham. <laughs> Spider-Ham rocks. <laughs> but also Ghost Spider and Miles Morales and Spider-Man Spider -Man Noir. Noir. Yeah. I mean, I was really hyped. And then I saw this trailer and I'm like, this might be too frenetic for me. I don't know if the whole movie is going to be this kind of slapsticky. Peter Parker's falls into a snowman while being dragged by Miles. And then the snowman face makes a squeegee sound against the side of a elevated tram. I'm like, there's a lot of humor and not a lot of story here. The opening chase got me. I liked the chase of Prowler versus Miles, but the end of it was just a little slapsticky. And I'm like, I have no idea what the tone of Into the Spider-Verse is going to be. Oh, yes, you do. It looks a lot like those animated things we've seen, like Teen Titans Go. And Spider-Ham shows up. That tells you everything. Yeah, I mean, Incredibles. Big Hero 6, yeah. It'll be... True to form. I don't think that they're reinventing the wheel with the characters. What's impressive, what I'm excited about is this is a really neat looking animation style and I'm happy to see it. And yeah, it's a low bar, but this could be the best Spider-Man movie ever. It's a high bar in my mind with Homecoming and two Raimi films out there. Since when did you love Homecoming? I thought it was pretty good. Okay, pretty good. And I love the Raimi films. All of them. Two of them. We've had that discussion. I just re-listened to it. But I am looking forward to Into the Spider-Verse still. I, th I'm, I think it's going to be one of our better holiday movies. And God knows we've got a lot of them we're going to be reviewing. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Venom? Jacob. Despite Tom Hardy being in this, I'm like, ah, I don't think it looks very good, guys, based on that trailer. I don't really want to see this. Having seen it now, it's not the ideal Venom film. I'll just put it that way. That'd be a horror-driven film, uh, dramatic moments of, uh, between Venom and Eddie coming to terms with having the symbiotic relationship. What I got, though, I don't mind it. Like, the, the waitress got my order wrong, brought me the wrong dish, but it I enjoyed the dish that you brought me anyway. <laughs> like, it was fine. It was campy. It had some humor. The action was all right. Look, there, there's so many problems with it. There, there are plot problems, and they just gloss over science and that. But I was laughing, and I was smiling, and I was enjoying it, and Tom Hardy was just doing his weird Tom Hardy thing. So it's one of those, is it so bad it's good, or did I enjoy it? I'm not sure, but it was a fun time. I think if you go in... And you're open to what they're going to give you. You're open to see if that works with you. Now, not go, there's no Spider-Man in this, so I don't like it. Yeah, I, I think you could have a good time with this film. I'll give it a recommend. Stuart. I agree that it does make it feel weird. The Inception is like making Venom without Spider-Man is the record company throwing their weight behind a Pips album with no Gladys Knight, the <laughs> finest surgeons in the world performing an appendectomy and then trying to save the life of the appendix. It's like, you know, sometimes some things are not meant to stand on their own. Is Venom one of those things? Well, I'll say Sony does 
manage to separate the conjoined twins that they do very much create their own universe with Venom here. I think the reason why I can't get behind this movie in either version is that I needed to like Brock and Venom together. They needed to have a rapport that was fun to watch. If everything else about the movie failed, you needed to get that right. And I just don't feel like a man and his parasite quite comes off the way that they wanted it to in either version, scary or funny. In the end, you guys mentioned Incredible Hulk before. That's what this looked like to me. Ed Norton's Incredible Hulk, which was another very mediocre Jekyll and Hyde story that failed to humanize its characters or give us much of a brawl between monster versus monster that had any stakes. I'll end on a note of optimism. Just as Hulk proved to be an asset for the Marvel Cinematic Unit in later installments, I imagine Venom 2 could be one of those sequels that soars now that it's unshackled from the painful origin story. It will be better because they have Tom Hardy, who's a whole lot of fun to watch, and if they get a good villain, and if most importantly, Sony trusts the artists that they hired to go with their instincts and not second-guess them in the editing room, we could have a sequel that's recommended. But for this one, I'm going to say weak not recommend. I think the ground is laid for a good movie, but this ain't it. I agree with Stuart. This is not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. It is really choppy and uneven. Leaps of logic are kind of needed, although the plot is so threadbare that I don't really feel more explanation is needed either. There's a lot of things going on, and yeah, it is easy to miss what happens to that fourth symbiote. Why are there even four? And characters just disappear and are offed way too easily like Dr. Skirth. And this is the kind of thing that usually completely ruins a film for me. But maybe it was the alcohol, but damn, I just, once Venom happened, once Symbiote met Eddie, I had a good time. And I was just like, this movie is so problematic, but I couldn't deny it was fun. So I had to go back and see it again without liquor to see if it actually held true. Did I really have a good time or did I have some Apple Teeny goggles on? And second time watching it, I still had fun. I'm torn on if it's a brown arrow level of fun or... Uh, yeah, I don't know if it even matters because I had fun. Yeah, I wouldn't debate it. You guys are recommending it and that's cool. I mean, I'm glad you guys had a good time. It's a weaker recommend. It really is because I wish this movie made sense. I wish this movie didn't feel cobbled together. I mean, I'm reminded of nothing so much as Rogue One in the way that huge amounts of character development just seem to happen and are gone on the cutting room floor. It's a problematic movie, but one of the guys I went with in New York said to me, there's never a time this is going to come on TV that I'm not going to leave it on in the background. And I thought about it and I agree with them. This is a fun movie to have on. My wife wanted to go into the next showing. She liked it that much. She had such a good time. I saw it twice in three days, and yeah, I'm not ruling out going back with Marjorie if I can ever convince her that I'm not still drunk and that the movie's worth fun. She needs to like Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like Tom Hardy's performance in this. I really do. I think Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams are very good in this. They're better than the material. Riz Ahmed, I don't know how that guy keeps getting work. <laughs> he wasn't very good in Rogue One. He wasn't very good in this, but he's fine. The Night of, Nightcrawler. You need to see movies that aren't comic books. All right, I, I've seen Nightcrawler, and he was good in that. 
Yeah. Yes. Got an Oscar nomination. But I do think Riz Ahmed is a little bit overrated. <laughs> he just, and maybe it's the character, you know, nobody is being given this great character, but I like Dr. Dan more than Riz Ahmed in this thing. But yeah, in the end, I thought it was going to stand alone. I came in here braced to just be like, it's got a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes and that's one out of three. I expect it to be the one out of the three of us to recommend it. So Jacob, you, I'm glad you saw the same movie I did. I think I did too. It just, we're, I, it was a week not recommend. None of us hated it. All of us saw that there was potential there, but a, a better movie could have been made from the parts that are lying on the ground. I'm willing to bet that there is a better cut of this film and it may show up on Blu-ray in 12 <laughs> weeks. That would be really awesome. I would love that to come out. I don't know. You know, they just don't do anything for Blu-rays anymore. Home media doesn't sell. I have a feeling what we see is what we get. Yeah, but this has been the biggest October opening ever, so I'm hoping they're like, oh, people like this. Yeah, let's put out that director's cut or whatever, that the Tom Hardy cut with 40 minutes of improv. All I know is if I want comedy, I want some Uva Bowl. I'm more excited for next week. We return to video games and Postal, finally. Huh. <laughs> More Uva, huh? Okay. Afraid so. Well, I'm more excited for some real horror. If Venom didn't satiate my horror desire, maybe I'll get it from some actual John Carpenter. Venom aped Carpenter. But this Friday, for Platinum Donors, we are reviewing. And by we, Brock is back, as well as Stuart and I, to talk The Fog. Yep. Part of our Platinum Jamie Lee Curtis series. She was crowned the Scream Queen because she made a series of movies in the 80s. We've already covered Halloween and Halloween 2. We're covering the other ones. And that is The Fog, Prom Night, which we'll cover the week after, and Ending with Terror Train in time to talk about her return to horror in the new Halloween reboot. Yeah, and that's two weeks from today. We will have our Halloween reboot out. A lot of movies coming out from in theaters you can see our full schedule but thank you for joining us for venom and thank you to all of our donors and patrons for you guys are the symbiotes that allow us to survive in this atmosphere jacob stewart thank you for joining me and we'll be back friday because with great podcasts come great responsibility it's all my fault i drove spider-man away Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. It's good to have you back, Spider-Man. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. It's hip, it's now, it's wild, and how? Crawl on the World Wide Web to nowplayingpodcast.com. You can find reviews of other comic-based movie series, such as The Avengers, Batman, X-Men, Blade, Ghost Rider, and Punisher. What are you waiting for? Chinese New Year? Go, go, go! We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Rocky, Transformers, The X-Files, Tron, and many more. There are bigger things happening here than me and you. You will also find individual movie reviews, such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I am so loving this. Oh, me too. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. It came. Looks like just in the nick of time. 
You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. I'll be there. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going. I'll be here when you get back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. You can find a donate button using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Meet. I'll send you a nice box of Christmas meat. Best I can do. Get out of here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Looks uncomfortable. It gets kind of itchy. It rides up in the crotch a little bit, too. Now Playing's Spider-Man Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. Misery, misery, misery. That's what you've chosen. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. And I've never even seen his face. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Columbia Pictures. Spider-Man and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company. And no infringement is intended. What are you, his lawyer? Get out of here. Let him sue me. Get rich like a normal person. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I missed the part where that's my problem. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Enough said. Thing for the homeless. I don't know why he's not volunteering at a shelter. The fuck? A dog shelter? <laughs> I guess I have symbiote dogs. That, I don't even know what they're barking. <laughs> There's nobody here except Marjorie asleep. It's a disappointment that they could not keep the Mep- uh what's his name? Mephist- Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. Is that right? Yeah. That they couldn't keep the Mesa Meph- Mephist. Not say it. <laughs> yeah. It- I don't know what your turds look like, but mine don't have liftoff that's, like, easy. I have famously large turds. And, and... Okay, now you've gone too far. No, remember Drax? Guardians 2? I was quoting Guardians 2. Okay. Sure you were. (laughs) I was. I was... (laughs) And Robert Fleischer made Zombieland. I still have not seen that movie. Oh, my gosh. What's wrong with you? It's October. Go see it. It's Halloween. It lost the vote. Just go see it for fun. Just watch it. It's a good movie. We'll do do the retrospective next year. Zombieland 2 is coming. But maybe it was the alcohol or the sugar, because we drank at like a sugar bar in New York. You can find anything in New York. A sugar bar? They got lots of different types of sugar. Seriously, it had like every confection. No, they got the brown sugar. They got the white (laughs) sugar. I snorted, man. (laughs) My apple teeny came with a lollipop, and it was a sour apple martini, and they had chocolate martinis and all kinds of sugar stuff. So maybe it was the sugar. Maybe it was the liquor.